Well, good morning, Glad Tidings. So wonderful to be with you. If you do not know me, my name is Eli. My wonderful wife, Emma, is over here. You should wave. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, if you don't know me, uh, I've been here at Glad Tidings for a little over a year and a half. Um, but we have just loved our time with you guys. You guys worship in spirit and in truth. I love it. You, you live in the reality of God's presence. You act like he's in the room. And we know he's in the room, but you actually act like it. And, and that's beautiful. Um, em and I were both raised in the church, grew up knowing the Lord, uh, both here in Moncton as well. But our, our stories are not perfect ones. We both had times really insisting on our own way, had unsurrendered hearts. Um, but God got us, as he does and uh, in, in high school, really came to the end of ourselves. And God was doing something special in our friend group. And our friend group had began to pursue the Lord in a very zealous way. And our friend hangout times uh, changed into worship nights and prayer nights. And as we would pray, um, God would speak to us about a place to go uh, to share the gospel. And we'd go down the streets. I remember the first time that I ever shared the gospel with a stranger. Uh, we were all getting all excited and, and whatnot. And my friend looked at me and just said, look at everyone with an eternal perspective. And it just cut me to the heart. And I marched up to this guy. <laughs> I think we asked him if we could pray for him or something. Was just not having it, not interested what, whatsoever. But it didn't matter because we had experienced God's love and mercy. And even if they didn't believe it for themselves, we believed it for them because it was fresh in our hearts. And we had experienced our friend group being revived onto the Lord. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about revival, but beyond the context of a friend group. I want to talk about revival in the church of Moncton and in the Maritimes and awakening coming to our nation. Um, if you could do me a favor, I would ask that you all would listen to the Holy Spirit more this morning than you would listen to me. It just makes my job very, very easy. <laughs> if we all just listen to God and, and we walk away knowing what he's saying to us, right? Because I can't really convince you of much. The Apostle John talks about the anointing, uh, teaching, right? So if you could just do me that favor, um, it just, we, we'll walk out looking more like Jesus. And that's really what we want, don't we? I would like to share an experience that I had um, with the Lord. Um, we, as a community within Gather to Go, uh, like Spencer mentioned, we've been praying for revival for um, almost, uh, almost two years in a, in a prayer room. In September, it'll be two years. Um, but the time where it really changed for me personally is I had this encounter with God, and I always, revival in the church sounds like a good idea, right? We're all like, yeah, we, we, should, we should have that. But in this encounter, my mind was changed, and I realized that revival in the church was not just a good idea, but it was actually a necessity for the sake of the lost, that they would come to know Jesus as we have. Um, and in this encounter, I, uh, the only way I could describe it is I got God's heart for the desperation that he desires to have an, an alive church, to have a people fully awakened to the reality of God. And, and that's really the only way I could um, describe it. But I want to read to you 
what I wrote down and what I felt like God was saying after that encounter, I wrote down, it's a little bit intense, so just going to read it here. It says, get desperate for him, Church of Moncton. Don't give yourself to anything but him. If you really think he's worth it, die today and live forever. There's no plan B. There's no other name we will call upon. Either awakening comes because of a hungry church or a nation dies. There is no plan B. Now, this really simply put is a, a call to change our minds. And a change of mind, if you'll remember Pastor Paul's series in the spring, he talked about repentance. And repentance, really simply put, is a change of mind where we turn from our own ways and we turn from our sin and we turn towards God. And in many ways, this is a call to change our mind and to believe that revival is the only hope for our nation. That through an awake church, through a hungry church who seeks God's presence, who intercedes for the lost, that the lost can come to know him, but that it's only in Jesus, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. That's what we believe as Christians. Um, I'd like to just turn in the Old Testament briefly, just to look at some examples of um, repentance and the power of repentance. So I'm going to turn to 2 Chronicles 7. Um, and in this context, it's the uh, Solomon is king, and he just finished dedicating the temple. And God gives him some, uh, I guess you could call it like pre-instructions about what's, uh, what will happen. And it's explaining what their people's reaction should be if judgment comes. And it says in verse 11, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord. And in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or when I command locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The other verse that I wanted to read is Jeremiah 18, 5 to 11. Um, and, and this is after God had, had spoken to Jeremiah and instructed him to go down to the potter's house. And, and God speaks to him in this place and says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent the disaster that I had intended to do to it. And if at any time declaring, uh, declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and deeds. Now, I simply read those passages this morning because there are two really good examples 
that show God's willingness and eagerness to work and partner with us through repentance. And that's really what it is, and that's the function that we see all throughout the Old Testament narrative. It's, it's so helpful when we read the Old Testament. We can see how God is interacting with his people. And we see again and again and again that repentance is this invitation. It's this doorway back into the covenant uh, and, and the covenant's blessings as well with that. Um, in... Uh, I, I go to Crandall University in, in biblical studies, and I had an Old Testament prof give this really simple diagram, if you could pull it up there for me, um, just this really simple diagram that shows a lot of what's going on throughout the Old Testament, and it starts off with God blesses his people, but as we do, his people sin, and God brings judgment or God's discipline. It's a warning that something's wrong here, um, and then through repentance, they're brought back into the blessing. Now, the blessing in the Old Testament um, could be summarized in a very extensive list. I'm just going to talk about a few key things here. It was often provision and protection. So it's protection from Israel's enemies. Uh, but when they weren't keeping up with repentance, when they weren't staying in line with God, God would remove his hand from his people and he would turn them over um, to their own plans and their own desires, right? We, we see the language of God lifting his hand off of his people, and it says, there's so many verses that talk about God handed them over to the Assyrian army. God handed them over to the Babylon army. So many verses that explain it in that kind of way. There's also, the, within the blessing in the Old Testament, there's also this provision, this, says, this sense that God will give them everything that they need, right? And we have so many stories and examples of this, the manna in the desert, the water that comes in the desert, um, and the list just goes on and on and on. Now, within the New Testament, though, we have some, some changes. Um, and as Jesus steps onto the scene, his very first commandment is repent. It's his very first instruction. So something's gone wrong here, but Jesus wants to invite the people back into a covenant relationship with God, right? And he wants to lead them into this new kingdom that he's ushering into the earth. But it's through repentance. And within this new repentance, um, within the language, I know I'm in a Pentecostal church, so this is a little bit of preaching to the choir here, but... Within the New Testament, we have this blessing of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is now a part of how we live as Christians and followers of Jesus, that through um, repentance that we can um, receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit, as well as seeing outpourings of the Holy Spirit on other people. We see this all throughout Acts. Um, the obvious one is Acts 2, Pentecost, when we see the Holy Spirit uh, coming as prophesied that the promise of the Holy Spirit was given in that moment as it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the, that the Holy Spirit would come. Just later in Acts 3, we see this model continuing that through repentance, times of refreshing comes, it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And it goes on and on. Then in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. I think you get it at this point, that through repentance, we can enter into more of the Holy Spirit 
and it's a part of this blessing that we live in through covenant relationship with God. Amen, Pentecostals? You guys know this stuff. Um, now, there's many stories that we could tell about how we see this um, in, in different areas of the world and what's going on in the church today. But there's a story that I'd like to share of the Hebrides revival. The Hebrides is this little cluster of islands in Scotland. Um, and it, just this remarkable move of God happened. If you have gray hair, you're probably still alive, though, when this happened. So it's pretty recent. It, it really started in... In 1949, but in order to tell that story, I, I have to, to share a little bit the backstory of the minister who was uh, highly involved within that revival. His name was Duncan Campbell. Now, Duncan Campbell uh, was raised in the church. Uh, his father was a minister, so he knew the Lord, but he decided that he wanted to go his own way. So he went right into the things of the world, um, as, as you do. Um, he was a bagpiper, so he he led the bagpiping parties. <laughs> I don't know what it looked like, but you can read the accounts. And it, it says this one particular night, though, um, as he was leading some sort of song, uh, the words in the song just cut to his heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit had convicted him and reminded him of something that he was taught in church as a child. So he's so convicted by this that he actually leaves. So he gets up, leaves whatever kind of party he's at, and he goes outside and he sees that the, the church lights are on. It's about 11 o'clock at night. A little bit odd, right? Um, maybe not for glad tidings, but <laughs> for some, it's a little bit odd, right? So he, he goes um, too scared to, to just open the door and see what's going on. So he puts his ear to the keyhole and he says that he heard a familiar voice. And it was his father. And his father was praying for his son's salvation. Now, even more convicted now... He decides, uh, he, first he, he opens the door, says hi to his father, his nice moment with his father, saying, it's nice to see you, son. Um, and he's, he leaves the church, uh, goes home, and he opens the door, and his mom is on his knees praying for his salvation. Caught to the heart once again, more and more conviction. And he shares what's going on with his heart to his mom, his mom uh, being a nice Scottish lady, says, we have guests today, you can't stay in your room, go to the barn and get right with God. <laughs> so he goes out to the barn and, and gets right with God, and he would point to this moment as his salvation moment, but um, he, he went on with life and uh, got a little complacent. He never really had done anything with the fact that he was a born-again believer, that he knew the Lord, but he'd never really shared the gospel with anyone. Now, fast forward um, to these uh, two women in the Hebrides. Um, I believe there's a picture you can pull up there as well. Um, these two women, uh, 82 and 84, one of them is blind, and one of them has, um, uh, she, like, crippled to some degree, so she, they're not able to do a whole lot, but they decided to devote themselves to prayer. So two nights a week, they would pray and intercede for revival in the Hebrides two nights a week till 3, 4, or 5 a.m. They were committed. They said, this is our time to intercede for the Hebrides. Now, one of these nights, they heard God, and God said, I'm bringing revival to the Hebrides. So they 
called their local pastor and said, we believe that God is doing something special today. Will you stand with us and contend for a revival? The pastor says yes, so they start these prayer meetings. So there's one going on in a barn, there's another barn going on, lots in the story. Um, <laughs> but they're praying in this barn, and the two old ladies, they can't really get out much, so they're praying in their cottage, and they have these nights dedicated um, to pray. Now, in one of these meetings, this went on for a number of months. I don't know how many months, but it was, it was a long while. And the first sign that something had really shifted is when this man stood up in the prayer meeting, and he said, we're praying for revival, but have we experienced revival ourselves? And he reads out of the Psalms, God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. And they said that the place where they were meeting shook and the Holy Spirit fell and they were convicted and they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a real first sign that something had shifted. Now, the old ladies, they're hearing from God again as they do. And God says, call Duncan Campbell. They believed that there was this minister supposed to come. They had some sort of vision. Uh, and saw this man in the pulpit that was supposed to lead. So they called Duncan Campbell. At this time, Duncan Campbell um, had gone through uh, the war, and in the war, he uh, was injured, fell off his horse, shot. Now he's on the ground, and he had been injured, and a horse comes by and actually steps on him. But when it steps on him, he lets out this gasp, and it signals to the Canadian infantry that had gone through that this man is still alive. So they come back to get him later. Now, in this moment, the Holy Spirit had fallen on Duncan Campbell as he's injured on the ground. And he started crying out to God that God would give him a second chance because he never used uh, the blessings of salvation. He never shared the gospel with his friends. He was saved, but he had never actually walked in uh, the fullness of the Christian lifestyle. Now, fast forward to a little later, he's pastoring a local church, gets a letter from these ladies to come to the Hebrides. He says, no, too busy pastoring a local church, um, but God has his way, tells him to go, and he shows up. But the last thing that he had said to the congregation and to the ladies is that he wasn't going to come, but he shows up anyway, and sure enough, they're waiting for him at the dock. Remember, it's a group of islands, so he, he shows up in the boat waiting for him, because God had spoken to them that he was coming anyway. <laughs> and um, they say, okay, it's late, Duncan, but there's a meeting going on at the church. Can we take you to the church? So brings him to the church. It's about 10 o'clock at night at this point. And he, bring, he brings this message. He said it was a mediocre message, nothing crazy. Um, but at the end of this message... They dismiss, but this one guy, that one guy who had stood up during the meeting in the barn, stood up and again, he started crying out to God for a half hour, just praying that God would have his way in the Hebrides, that God would move upon the hearts of man, and that that area would be changed by the gospel. Now, sure enough, as this is happening, 600 people gather outside the church. 600 people from random places. They interviewed them after. They found out that 100, about 100 young people had stopped a dance party. Nothing against dance, but they had stopped their, <laughs> where they were at. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they said, we need God. And they show up at this church that's having this meeting, and the 
power of the Holy Spirit comes and they're being led to Jesus. They're crying out to God. There's about 900 people in the church at this point until 3 a.m. They're crying out to God. Amazing. Uh, the Hebrides revival would go down in history as one of the, the marking times where it was the Holy Spirit was the leader. That it wasn't just this one person, but that it was by the Holy Spirit that people were say, seeing Jesus and that they were repenting of their sins. Now, at a, 3 a.m., <laughs> they finally decide, okay, we've had a wonderful night, people met Jesus, but it's time to dismiss. It's 3 a.m., right? Um, so they dismiss the meeting, but as Duncan Campbell's going out the back door, someone grabs his arm and says, sorry, you've got to come with me. We're going to the police station. There's about 400 people crying out to God for the repentance of their sins and for forgiveness. 400 people. And this all began because someone stood up and said, no, God will have his way. God will have the Hebrides. God will move. I believe what he said is true, that he has spoken that revival's coming and it's gonna start in our hearts. God give us clean hands and a pure heart. And that out of that place of purity and authenticity and humility, God moved and shifted the Hebrides forever. Now, the stories go on and on and on. <laughs> uh, you can read them online if you'd like to. Uh, many accounts of people just crying out to God in street corners, right? So the Holy Spirit's just leading people to himself all over. Something had shifted in, in a tangible way that people are crying out to God in street corners. I don't know about you, but I've never seen that in Moncton without some sort of evangelist going up to, to someone to share the gospel. But people are just crying out to God. There was one account of this man who started crying out and saying, God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. I know that sounds so intense, but it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts, that shows us our sin. When Jesus said that the, he would send the Holy Spirit in John he says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And that's what we need. That's what we're praying for. That the Holy Spirit would have a sovereign move through New Brunswick, through the Maritimes. And that something would truly shift in, in a way that is beyond one person's obedience or one person's leadership. I can't bring revival. I can't lead someone to the Lord even. It's the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is, is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that this is not me or you or glad tidings or anything. This is us. We get on our knees and God moves or we decide to go our own way and God will let us do our thing. He will, he will remove his hand from us. We can be like uh, Israel in many times throughout history when God just removed his hand and said, fine, you don't want the lost to be saved? Fine. And he just removes his hand from the area and the people. But if we, <laughs> but if we come to the end of ourselves and if we say, no, there truly is no plan B, there truly is no other option. I'm just going to ask the, the worship team to come back and we're going to have a, a time of response and talk about some practicals. But if we do come to the end of ourselves and in desperation cry out for a move of God, we can see a shift. God is willing. God is willing. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is willing? It's, it's God's invitation to repentance that we can come even this morning and say, God, I've had a change of mind. Revival's not just a good idea. It's a necessity.
I need a sovereign move of God in my life, and not just in my life, not just in this church, but in the whole Maritimes. The reality is, is people are dying every day, and I know I sound intense, but what we believe in as Christians is intense. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. This isn't a game. This isn't some sort of thing we just do on Sunday. This is the reality that we get to live in, and that that's the message that we proclaim to the world. Some practicals um, that we can live out. Number one is in intercession. Number one is intercession, because like I said, and like I keep saying, we can't do this. I can't do it. You can't do it. But God can, and God's willing too. God's willing, and through the partnership of repentance and through intercession, we can see the Maritimes change. So I'd encourage you to come out to uh, prayer, to come out to the prayer meetings that Glad Tidings have. Start your own prayer meeting if you need to. You can be like those two ladies who decided two nights a week, God, they're yours. Doesn't matter when, no start time, no, or definitely a start time. No end time, though. <laughs> you have to start time. Um, we can do that. We can commit. So let's just listen to the Holy Spirit, what he's doing and saying. Another very, uh, uh, very good practical for us is if you are, have been in the Lord for a number of years, again, if you have gray hair, if you're mature in the Lord, if, if your life is worth imitating, we need mothers and fathers. Um, Spencer was talking about the flood. That's a young adult event, mostly. But these people need parents who will come alongside them and pour into their lives. These people need um, not just people who are going to, you know, preach to them, but actually go through life with them. They need people to take them out for coffee and, and, and ask them how their quiet times are. These people, there's many people who have come to the Lord who their families have no history within Christianity. So their parents aren't following the Lord. It's them. It's them and Jesus. But we can't do Christianity in isolation. We need mothers and fathers. So I really encourage you, if you're not mentoring someone in my generation, pray, ask God, who's in my life? Who have you put in my life that I can start pouring into? Uh, a picture that we've used to see if we have a healthy equilibrium in our spiritual walks is simply the compass. So east and west being the people that we're walking with, south being the people that we're pouring into, the people we're mentoring and discipling, and then north being the people that are pouring into our lives. It's helpful even just to write down some names of people that we know that we're pouring into and the people that are keeping us steady, keeping us on track, and the people that are pouring into our lives. Just to know, are we doing this work right? Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.